Hi, and welcome to Master's Choice Podcast, Episode 15. Today we had Alex Feller, Master's Choice Director of Finance in studio as my co-host, talking about managing finances in these times where commodity prices are down. Also, we had Scott Niekamp call in to talk about estate planning and generational planning on the farm. Scott is a uh, estate and business planning advisor, principal at Kneecamp Financial. He operates out of Northwestern Mutual. Hope that you enjoy the podcast today. Well, good morning and welcome to MC Podcast number 15. My co-host today is Alex Feller, Director of Finance here at Master's Choice. Alex, welcome to the... Yeah, Alex, welcome to the show. I don't like being referred to as your co-host. It makes Why? me It just makes you seem inferior. Like, are you also a co-host or are you full-on host? Well, so I, I think that since I am consistently here, that that would make me the, co- the, the host. Makes and sense. A- every one of you who bring greater knowledge than what I can bring on a subject would be my co-host. Flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah, I know yeah. it will, especially with finance guys. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I yeah. know. And tacos. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and tacos. Yeah. So which which reminds me, uh, previous podcast we had I had to um, basically reprimand uh, Kyle Vosberg for his happens a lot. Y- well, I know, I know. Um, you know, this had to do this had to do with his recommendation of barbecue restaurants. Yeah, it, and part of that is because I'm a barbecue snob. So I know but, this, but yeah, and mo- most people do, and, and so there are certain things about barbecue that I that I like, and certain things that I will just you know I I just eschew. Um, the other the other side of that is um, you and I you and I have found uh, found some common ground on on tacos, especially street tacos. Yes, yeah, and so we have a little place here in town, Rust Buckets Garage, uh, burgers and uh, and wings kind of joint, but uh, but they have superb tacos. Yeah, and we have bonded over wings as well. We have. Our trip to Ohio last year. This is true. This Somewhat is true. romantic, very very enjoyable. Yes, good thing my wife was there. True. Yes, because it, it, it could have <laughs> got overly romantic with those wings. No doubt. So, so uh, Alex, just tell us a little bit about what, what your role here at Master's Choice looks at. I mean, we call you Director of Finance, uh, but you are not the devil, you know, as, as much as that, that, that may be... Um, thought about thank you about finance guys and so just give us a little idea of what your role is here at master's choice yeah so my role at master's choice is a little bit different than what most people would think of when they think finance and there are two i I always say there are two components to to finance you can have reactive and proactive finance and i like to talk a lot about proactivity here at master's choice so um i get to do uh, a little bit of both actually so um, on the proactive side, I get to have meetings with people like you. I get to go on sales trips with, with people like you and then Scott and Kevin um, and just kind of get to see where the rubber meets the road. But then I also get to spend a lot of my time at the office with the accounting department analyzing what comes in from those departments and how we're, how we're spending, how we're uh, receiving in revenues and things like that. So it's kind of a mixture of both. And... Um, so it's really it's really enjoyable. It's not nearly as boring as most people think it might be, and I actually think that it's uh, it's as engaging as some of the some of the R and D efforts that we do. Because when we talk about finance, what we're talking about is how how do you spend better? Okay, and that's what we also want to share with with growers is we're putting in all this effort into our product. How is it going to benefit you? 
you're going to look at the exact same things that we do in the accounting office. Okay, that makes that makes good sense. So, uh, you know, I, I did say that before. You know, I, I appreciate your your thoughts and your your proactive activity and your and your forward thinking of not just okay, no, we can't spend money right now, but thinking okay, yes, we can spend money, but let's spend this money in the most effective ways that we can. And, you know, being in research and development, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we get to, you know, we get a little bit of a hard time about spending too much money with not enough results. But but I really appreciate your forethought in saying, okay, I can see how if we spend money here, that even in the future, even though we may not, um, even though we may not have direct or almost immediate dividends, so to speak, we're, we're going we're gonna to see some of those things. You, you see how we could, how we can see those in the future. And so I really, I really appreciate that. So I want to, I want to just uh, talk to you or let you talk to us actually, um, just some, some ideas and some thoughts and some things that growers can be looking at, or, or not necessarily even just growers, but like businessmen, just good business practice, good financial practices that everybody everybody can have. So I want you to kind of be thinking about, you know, what, what those things would be, your top, your top ones, maybe even prioritize them a little bit, sure. or just say, you know, this one is more important than that one. So I, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of just, even though you're the co-host, I'm going to kind of hand this off to you for a minute and, and kind of let you take charge here as, as the expert. It's too much power. Well, it can be. It's already going to my head. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we could talk today kind of about that proactive accounting and just how uh, we can – I think that fiscal management sometimes gets the reputation of being boring. Okay. And it can be because a lot of people communicate differently. Okay. And so there are some people that don't communicate as well with numbers, and that's, that's understandable. Um, but you also probably can't say – I don't do numbers. You have to. Yeah. Business, the accounting is the language of business. Yeah. So you have to speak it if you're going to be successful. And so I think that what we need to look at it is more like a tool. Okay. You know, there are some things that guys do well with um, implements and equipment. And, and so this is just another one of those things to put in your resource kit of how you can manage your business more effectively. Um, so I, I guess we could just talk about some simple steps today to, to more engage there. Instead of letting it control you, you control you control the information that your operation's generating. I think that's a great idea. So, um, you know, we could talk a little bit about those things. Um, I think that I think that why it's important today is that the commodity prices are not high. Okay. And so you're going to hear a lot about mergers and uh, farms shutting down and things that have been in the, in the family for generations that are no longer there. Um, and a lot of that has to do with this concept of, uh, I guess the illustration is kind of like a, a ship in a harbor is what we've what they teach you in business school. Um, you get close to the shore, there's lots of rocks. There's lots of things that could sink the ship. But if the water level's high enough, or if the commodity price is high enough, doesn't matter. But okay. when that when that goes down, you have to have more finesse. You have to steer the ship more carefully. And so that's the market that we're in right now. Yeah. When the water's down. You 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 see the things that weren't a problem before. And now you have to manage them. Yeah, so commodity prices are down, but not only that, but milk prices are somewhat down. Mm-hmm. Here, here, this last month they they dropped cons- considerably. Yep. You know, we were at seventeen just a few months ago, and seventeen's not the best, but it but a lot of guys can make it on seventeen, and now we're we're back down in the fifteens. Yeah. So so you're right that that water level is lower. We got to watch out for some of those some of those things. So what are the finesse moves that that we can make kind of proactively? So one of the first things you're going to run into is expense management, and and this is not only true for business finance, but true for personal finance as well. If you've got a lot of income, you're not as careful with your spending. And that's just a general rule. If I if you've got if you've got a lot in your checking account, you're generally just a little bit more 
open with your with your checkbook or with your wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're going to go out to eat more. You're going to make some purchases you may not have to make, but that you just kind of want to. And that's the way that businesses operate as well. Well, we're not there right now. We're in a place where you've got you've got guys that are that are scraping by or they're taking out lines of credit just to keep the doors open on their operation. Um, so what you need to do first, I think, and this is going to sound counterintuitive because you almost think that this is a reactive thing, but you can actually be proactive about your spending. You can engage your expense management, and one of the ways you can do that is just by paperwork. And it's really that's the, probably one of the worst parts that people struggle with is keeping papers in line. I'm not looking at you like I'm blaming you. I just no, you know. no. I I was I was looking down thinking, okay, do I keep my papers in line? Did you get your expense report turned in? Yet? I did. I okay, did. good. I got, I got my expense report turned in. Had I actually had all of my receipts. Uh, so so my fault with receipts is the is the one at the gas pump. That's the one that I have yep. the, the hardest time with. But because yeah. it asks you. Yeah, well, I can even say yes, and then yeah. by the time I get done pumping gas, I just jump in the truck because I'm I'm off somewhere. So yeah. that that that's my fault. Well, there's beef jerky to go get too. So I mean, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so one of the one of the recommendations I would make for people that are struggling with this is just to keep a schedule. First of all, set a time every week, uh, probably no less than a week, maybe at the end of every day, even for some operations if you're spending a lot, and just make sure that everything's in line. You got your credit card receipts labeled. Um, you've got them put away. Make sure that you tally it up. There's a lot of online tools. You could download apps on your phone to make sure that at the end of the day, you can check and make sure I spent all this money today. Do I have every receipt that it's listed on my phone here? Yeah. Um, same thing for a computer. You can always check credit card receipts there. And a lot of guys do business with checks and cash. So the general rule there is just if you give paper away, make sure you get paper back. Uh, there are very few places that will not offer a receipt. Right, right. So so it's as, it's as much about... Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's it's as much about tracking that spending. Mm-hmm. Where where I'm, you know this paperwork helps me to know where I'm spending, and 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 saying oh you know, it, and I and I think about it in, in you know on a personal finances way you know uh, I, I we look at the you know we ch- we track this we keep this paperwork up and all of a sudden we realize you know we're we're spending like five six hundred dollars a month at walmart why, why are we spending this much at, at walmart you know or, or wherever you know maybe it's maybe it's just certain places and sometimes it's it's just places where we where we kind of get in the habit of, of maybe overspending places mm-hmm. okay well and credit cards are a good way to keep track of it too because a lot of those have tools that will actually consolidate you know where your money went yeah. and they even like uh, some will even categorize it for you okay uh, and there's lots of apps that can help you do that too but it won't tell you why it won't tell you a receipt breakdown of what you spent it on. Exactly. And so, I, you know, I'm with you. I have a, I have a hard time remembering things yeah. when it comes to receipts. And so I don't know what I spent last week, let alone last month, let alone last year. Um, and so it sounds incredibly boring. And to some extent it is, but it's also incredibly empowering if you know where your money's going. You can't manage what you can't measure. Okay. So if you can't measure it, you're going to lose control of those expenses really quickly. And for personal finances, it's not so bad. But with, you know, operations of, of, of farms, you're spending lots of money in different places and in large amounts. The other thing I can help you do for, for a lot of guys is if they're purchasing inventory that they're using on their farm. So something like a chemical they apply in their field. Well, they need to know and track when they're, when they're spending the most on specific chemicals. You know, if I can, if I can have this herbicide that I, that I buy in, you know, let's say February, I, I, I buy it before I'm actually planning on applying it. Whereas I buy it in season, it's a lot more expensive. Do I know that? If I'm not keeping the receipts, I've got no idea. Yeah, you know. Um, so it just helps you. It helps you kind of outsource your brain a little bit. You don't have to keep track of all these things in your head because you can't. Yeah. Um, as much as people like to think they can, 
Um, another tip there is just to keep your accounts separate. A lot of guys will merge personal finances and business, especially if the business isn't that big yet. Right. If it's not its own entity, if it's kind of like a doing business as, you know, Feller Farms for me, uh, you got to keep it separate anyway. It'll help you make sure that you're not tax liable for one. Okay. Um, you'll, you'll gain a lot of benefit from being able to recognize business expenses as opposed to personal expenses, um, which if you ever get audited, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's and it's dangerous. You know, yeah. I, uh, I I've had family members who use their um, you know their uh, their business account like it was their personal checking. And, and you, buddy, you can just you can you can lose lose a lot really fast by doing that. Yeah, and it's not to say it can't be done, but it is to say that if you're doing it on your own and you don't know the difference, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, uh, and it's illegal. So. Uh, a lot of the time, that's where you need to have the help of an accountant to explain how they can be related, because obviously you are gaining money from your business right. at some point. Right. But how you do it is very important. Okay. Keeping receipts is a good way to make sure that doesn't get doesn't get muddied. And keeping even a separate credit card if you use those, okay. a separate checking account, those kinds of things. That makes sense. Um, the, the last two tips on this, because it is, it is kind of a topic that a lot of people have under wraps, but some don't, um, invest in software that works. Okay. A, lot, a lot of people will try to do this by paper, and it's not a great idea. Um, a lot of softwares are surprisingly, I would say they're easier to use than, than keeping a ledger in your checkbook, actually. Okay. Um, and if you can't do that, hire it out. Yeah. Have somebody or or if you do can't it. do that, I bet your 16-year-old son could do it. Probably. Yeah. Which is not an insult, either. It's no, just no, a no. difference in... You know, uh, a generation that grew up with technology versus one that didn't. Exactly. And like we talked about in previous podcasts, you just have to play to your strengths and weaknesses. So if your weakness is technology and financial management, have somebody else do it. Have somebody else. But make sure it's somebody who's qualified and, and understands what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's kind of one of the more boring things. But I have I have something exciting for you. Okay. Cash. Yes. I don't actually have it for you. Oh, I just want to talk that about it. That was disappointing. Sorry. I thought you were going to be proactive and give me some cash. That I was going to throw money at you? Yeah, well, or just hand it to me. I don't care if you throw it at me, you know, but just at least hand it. Hand me. You're like, I've got some cash. <laughs> okay, so uh, cash is actually a really interesting topic, not just from the fact that we all like it, but uh, financially it's, it's, um, it's different than profit. Okay. And a lot of people don't understand the difference there, surprisingly. But right. you can actually be profitable and not have any cash. Uh, the way that happens is you can invest. I can invest my cash into equipment. Now it's not cash anymore; it's equipment. Or I can invest my cash into inventory of, uh, you know, of seed or so, of chemicals. But when, when you're talking about cash, you're really talking about money that's on hand, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just like bills in my wallet, right. but it's but it's money that I have on hand that I can spend on things. Yeah, good distinction because I I forget sometimes that. You know, when I when I when I walked into SIU, which was my alma mater, I walked in the first time and they started explaining the difference between cash and and money. You know, I, I didn't understand, but yeah, cash is any liquid asset that okay. is that is. You, I could go to a to a bank, pull it out, convert it to cash immediately. Right. So right. I don't have, you know, if if you're a business, you have ten thousand dollars in your checking account. You don't have ten thousand dollars of cash in your hand, but you do have ten thousand dollars of cash that you could go get right away. Right. Right. So, but but let me ask this. Is is that the same thing as a line of credit? I mean, it, it, are we are we talking are we talking something different there? Because, you know, let's just say at, at the bank I've got a line of credit that that I can tap into any time. Is, is that considered cash, or or is it just that that I have that 
that it that is money. Does yeah, that gotcha. make sense? Uh, it's not. It's so the line of credit is not cash. Okay, you can convert it to cash. Okay, um, but it is not considered an asset on the books. Okay. so if if you convert the line of credit to cash, if I go to the bank and say, hey, I need. I need you know fifty thousand dollars on my line of credit to pay this bill. I'm going to get paid X amount in a few months. I'll pay you right back, which happens to a lot of farmers. Um, banks understand this, right. uh, so that you know you you convert it to cash. That fifty thousand dollars that you get immediately comes at a fifty thousand dollar liability on the same side. Okay. So the net effect on your balance sheet is you get fifty thousand dollars of cash, but you also get fifty thousand dollars of a liability. That's that's the liability side of cash. So it's a current liability. Okay. Cash is a current asset. So it is similar, though. And you can plan cash flows around that, too. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, there are some operations that that really can afford to be what we call cash lean, or they don't keep a heavy amount of cash reserves on hand in case something bad happens. Um, one of my pet peeves is when people give financial advice, particularly about cash, and they don't know what the what the circumstance is. And so you and I can't sit here and say, you know, you 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 should keep X amount of, of cash on hand or this yeah. this percentage yeah. of your profit. You you can't say that. Yeah. Because a lot of it depends on debt. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of it depends on on total revenue and how much you're bringing in every year. And so for me to sit here and say, well, you have to do this, I don't know. I don't know your situation, but I can tell you generally if you've got less debt and if you've got higher amounts of revenues, you can probably afford to not keep as much cash on hand, and you're going to be okay. okay. And the reason you won't want to do that is because cash is is a is an asset that can actually gain more money. So I can either put it in a in an account that earns interest, which right now is probably not very great, right? Or I can go spend it on something that's going to help me make more. Okay. I could go invest in maybe some land or or some rent or some equipment that I wasn't planning on, but that increases my productivity. And okay. so the way I can think about this is with this $50,000, say, can I go earn more money than I'm going to pay the bank in interest? Most of the time, the answer might be yes. Yes. But on the flip side, if I, don't, if I have a lot of debt and I don't have as many steady revenues coming in, if I'm unsure about the price of my commodity that I'm growing, not, not a good idea. You're going to want to keep some reserves on hand, make sure that you've got enough to – because you can actually sink a business. A profitable business yeah. by not having enough cash. But yeah, because if something if something does happen mm-hmm. and you don't have cash, then then you you know you have no way to, to cover that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. What what other what other tips you have for us? Um, so since we talked a little bit about equipment and has and how it relates to cash, the other side of a current asset is a current liability, or I'm okay. sorry, a, a, a long term asset is what I meant to say. A long term asset is something that that has a has a life that's usually depreciated. And that's that's a buzzword for a lot of growers. Wow, wow! You, you just said a lot of things right there. They're just like long term liability with a, with the depreciation and some assets. I'm like, just yeah. Let's let's boil that. I saw, down. I just, saw, just I saw you fall asleep. Yeah, for I, well, I, I didn't really fall asleep. My eyes just kind of glazed over. Yeah. So um, so a long term asset is something that has a useful life. So it's going to be around for a while. Okay. Or at least that's the plan. Is there is there a certain time limit? I mean. Uh, usually it's going to be five years five or more. Years. Okay. You you can see some that are three though. Yeah, I have some friends who don't even have wives that were long term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a I'm sep- sorry. that's a separate that's a separate issue. That's a, that's a separate. That's a whole other financial issue. I don't know. There. I don't know how you would value such things. I, I don't know either. Obviously, they didn't value. That was their problem. <laughs> um. So so equipment's one of those popular ones. It's not just equipment. You can also have intangible assets that are 
that, that are, you know, I, I can't, I can't actually go out and drive this or I can't go out and, and see this. It's a, it's something on the books, but we'll focus on something that people are more used to, which is equipment. Okay. So trucks and tractors and, and, um, you know, all, all these things that we have to use on operation to keep it functioning. Um, you'll probably hear of a lot of, of, of growers talk about the great incentives you get from depreciation when a fixed asset is purchased. You can't just take all that as an expense because the IRS wants their money, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want you to go out and buy three hundred thousand dollar tractor, yeah, and say, "Oh, I get to write all this." I didn't off get, right I now. didn't get any income this year. I had to buy this tractor, right? Because they're gonna, their argument is, and that's a good argument accounting wise, is that you're gonna use this for multiple years. Okay, that that uh, that's interesting because I I never really put that together of why we couldn't just take those things, why we had to continue mm-hmm. to depreciate them, but that that yeah. You know, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the IRS on that. I mean, you'd hate to agree with the IRS on that. I hate to, yeah. Yeah, you know, but but it it it, do, it does make some sense. Yeah. Yeah, so accounting-wise, we want this to reflect, too, because we're not – we're. if I look at a year, I want to know how much money I actually made. Right. And so for me to say that just because I bought this tractor this year, but I'm going to use it for probably 20, 30 more years at least, you know, it's, it's unrealistic to say that it was just that year's expense. So now there is one tax advantage to that. And that's section 179 uh, expense. I'm sorry, 179 depreciation expense. Okay. I'll get the words eventually. Yeah. Um, And all that means is that to some extent, you can depreciate equipment all in one year if you want to. Now, there are certain limitations to that. You need to talk to somebody who's more involved with your operation. Like I said, I'm not going to give blanket advice to to somebody without understanding a little bit more of what they're doing. But um, what this means is that you can actually take all this expense in one year and save a good portion of taxes. And I've actually spoken to um, an, a, a CPA in, in this area about uh, farms in, in the area who have actually gone out on December 31st and purchased vehicles. Right. Because if they didn't, they'd end up paying more in tax. So they might as well get a free vehicle out of the deal, right? Right. right. Um, and so, but this is not a typical scenario. A typical scenario for a grower is more that I need to plan on how I'm going to manage this for 5, 10, 15 years. And one of the considerations you have there is that if you do depreciate everything off of that, when you sell it, you're going to have a gain. And it's going to post as if you made money off of the sale of your vehicle. Okay. And so a lot of growers don't understand this. Um, they might look at their books and say, well, I've got, I've got you know, half a million dollars in equipment, but it's all depreciated. And you can have that. If you're really good at maintaining equipment and keeping it, keeping it moving, you could have zero value book-wise in your equipment and then sell it all in one year and have an accidental $100,000 of money laying around that you weren't planning on, the IRS says, hey, I need some taxes off that. Right, right. And so you want to kind of manage this a little bit more carefully. Um, Two words. Ready? I'm going to do some terminology. terminology. Hey, you know know me. I like things boiled down, bullet points, two words. Here's your bullet points. All right. Book value. Okay. Okay. Book value. And accumulated depreciation. That's more than two words. I'm That's sure. two phrases. It's two phrases. Okay. It's four words. Right. I thought so, I missed something there no, for a second. No. All right. So book value and book accumulated value appreciation. And a, an accumulated appreciation. Depreciation. Depreciation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So book value means I bought this at $5,000, and I've depreciated $1,000 off of it. So my book value is $4,000. Right. So I've got $4,000 worth of equipment. It's kind of kind of true and kind of not. Because if I look at some of the some of the equipment that I've got book wise, it could have no no value. Right. It could have zero. Right. Because I've depreciated that all the way down. Mm-hmm. But okay. to me, it could have a lot more than that. Yeah. And and if I sell it, then it would have then it would have value. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you'd have to recognize a gain on that, right. which is taxable. Okay. So you have to be careful. You have to understand the difference between the two. So it's not just you know I paid five thousand dollars for this. So if I sell it for five, I don't have to pay anything. Well, you might. 
it depends on your depreciation. So you need to be more, you know, a lot of us keep this in our head. And I couldn't tell you even personally what all my assets look like and if I've depreciated all these things or, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't think of these things. We just think I've got this vehicle. Yeah. Nor, nor do I really want to know what your assets look like. Or move on. <laughs> it's just my, it's just my car. It's just my Jeep. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. All right. That's what you were talking about, right? Uh, yeah. Those kind of assets. Right. Right. So, uh, so a lot of us keep this in our head. I don't really think about how much yeah. money I've got poured into to a vehicle or how much money maybe I might make off of the sale in my head. I just go, you know, I've got, I've got five more years in this. Yeah. I can do this. But financially, there's a lot going on in those equi- in those pieces of equipment or in those vehicles that we need to think about because it could pose a huge tax bill if we're not careful. So managing those is, in- is key, and that's why book value is important. The other one that's important is accumulated depreciation. Accumulated depreciation is how you track book value. So going back to that example from before, if I've got an asset that's $5,000, I've, I've depreciated $1,000 this year. Well, it goes to accumulated depreciation. So now the breakdown is $4,000 and $1,000 of accumulated depreciation. Um, the actual book structure is you, you put it on there as $5,000, and then you offset it with the $1,000 of accumulated depreciation. So it doesn't look like your book value has gone down, but in reality, one offsets the other. One offsets the other. And that's why it's tricky. Okay. Because a lot of people think, well, here's my total here's my total assets. It looks like this. But you also have to look at what the total accumulated depreciation is on those because that's going to tell you what your potential tax liability is if you sell it. Okay. So if you've got some value still in your assets, you're pretty good to go. Um, you need to make sure that those are being depreciated every year accordingly um, because that's a tax benefit to you when you depreciate them. Okay. And make sure you're maximizing those. Um so that's a lot of math, and I get, uh, yeah. and, and, and it's, a, it's a lot to keep track of, but this is another one of those keys as to why keeping books and keeping records is important, because w- the, way that we, the way that we operate things, the way that we do our day-to-day functions does not line up with managing numbers like accumulated depreciation or, right. or, right. or whatever. And, and you and I talking about it, I understand why it's boring, because yeah. a lot of people, no. you, don't, you don't need to look at this every day. Right. But you do need to keep some some idea monthly, um, for sure, uh, weekly maybe, about how these things are progressing, just to get an idea, just to make sure that you're keeping track of when you may need to cycle some equipment out and move and, some in. And, and you and you may need to bring somebody in to help you with that. Mm-hmm. If, if that's not your strong point, if that's not if that's something that's confusing, it you know it's always you know it's always beneficial to bring somebody in to do that, and and they can. They can know some of the, and I and I don't mean this in a negative context, but some of the tricks of the trade to be able to to keep those records straight and and to say, okay, this is where we're at. This is what you can do. This is what you cannot do, and um and and so I, absolutely. So so kind of kind of boil this all down. Kind of kind of kind of bottom line it for us, if you will. Yeah. So um you know we could talk about some tricks for the bottom line as well. Um, you you we look at we look at the bottom line and what most people think about when they say that is the word profit. Yeah. And so profit's one of those nice things too because it means hey, I made some money. I made some money. Um it's better than the opposite which is I I owe more money than what I brought in. Right, which would be called a trouble. Trouble or a <laughs> loss. Or a loss. Yeah. There you go. So loss is bad. Loss is the red number that nobody likes. Yeah. Um but just having a number in the black or just having a number in profit does not mean you're doing well. Okay. And a wow, lot of guys okay. are shocked when they hear that. Yeah. Um, there's two other phrases that we can talk about, too. 
and this may be you know a podcast for a future day in itself because it's so important. Right. Um, opportunity cost and sunk cost. So sunk cost is just what it means. If I if I spend you know a hundred dollars on somebody to come look at my air conditioning unit at my house. That has no th- nothing to do with my decision to buy a new one now because I've already spent it. So a lot of people think about this. Well, I've already spent the money on blank, so I might as well go ahead and do this. Okay. That's, that's a bad line of thinking. Right. If you've already spent the money, it's not a factor in your decision anymore. Okay. And the reason I mention this is because of something called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost says, I could do this or I could do this. How much does it cost me if this happens? versus option number two. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. So so when you look at this, the reason I say that profit is not necessarily, you know, an indicator of, of how well you're doing right. is because you might have had an opportunity to do something better. Okay. And in that sense, you you did lose something. Okay. The opportunity cost for you wasn't opportunity anymore. It was experienced. Yeah. You had more cost than you had planned on or that you could have achieved. And so now it's not as good. So, so, the profit number is a lot more than what it looks like, and, we, and we'll probably cut this a little bit short just today. Yeah. Um, but we could talk about this another time as well. Um, one of the keys with profit is to, do, to put it into a ratio. Um, a ratio is just a way of saying, I've got this number of my financial statements. I want to compare it to this one. So one of the key ratios that you would do is um, called the current ratio. Okay. And that says all my current assets divided by all my current liabilities. How much, what is that? Okay. If it's more than 1.0, that means you've got more current li- or current assets than liabilities, and you're good to go because you can convert stuff to cash in order to meet your liabilities, and you're good. Okay. Now, if it's less than 1.0, the opposite yeah. is true. Yeah. That means that you might have bills come due that you can't pay for immediately. Okay. So it's a really quick calculation that kind of tells you right away, do I have enough to get this done? Another good one is to divide profit by your total sales revenues. Okay. So for a lot of guys, what this means is that I, I take something to the elevator or I sell, I sell milk that's in my tank and, and I, I experience this much sales revenue. How much profit did that generate? Right, right. And so if you put profit above your sales revenue, it's going to give you a point something. It's going to be a percentage. Yeah. Um, for a lot of operations, it hovers between 0.01, which is 1%, and 0.05, which is 5%. And that's not bad. Okay. Um, what, is, what is an ideal one is actually 0.2. Okay. So 20% being your profit margin is extremely aggressive, especially in an agriculture industry wow. right now. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of companies, it's what investors look at to say, you know, this is a company that can survive, or this is a business model that can survive even in tough times. And so personally, if I'm, if I'm a grower, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a dairyman, I want to look at this and say, if it, is my profit margin this high? Because if it is, I can do a lot yeah. to make ends meet yeah. if I need to. Not that you would want to, but I can if I, if I need to. Um, and so this is, you know, like I said, we, we, this is a whole, this is a seminar worth of, of stuff in this, just in this one topic. But, um, the key here is just to make a, make a goal, you know, okay. whatever, you, whatever, whatever weakness you find, if it's profit, if it's your assets, if it's your liabilities, compare it to something, okay. make sure that you can keep, keep track of it and make sure you can make small incremental changes. If you've got a profit margin of 0.01% and you want to see it at 0.05 in a few years, or I'm sorry, 0.01 or 1% to 5%, just just get there slowly. Don't don't think that you have to suddenly like quadruple your profits just to make this goal. Right. Um, the key here with all of this is do something that works for you. Do something that you can keep track of um, slowly over time and just get it done. 
Um, it's not meant to be a burden. It's always meant to be, like we said at the beginning, a tool in your kid to get something Good. accomplished. Well, well, speaking about that slowly over time, uh, our call-in guest today is going to be uh, Scott Niekamp from Northwestern Mutual, and he's going to be talking to us about generational planning on the farm. So that kind of how to turn this over to, to my kids, you know, how this is going to look over time. And, um, and so we're going to have him, we're going to have him on uh, here. So uh, on the line now, we have uh, Scott Niekamp. He is an estate and business planning advisor. He's a principal with Niekamp Financial that operates Northwestern with Northwestern Mutual. Scott, thanks for joining us today and, and allowing us to kind of pick your brain and for you to share your knowledge on, uh, on, on kind of uh, estate planning and, and, and passing things along. And, and so uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you operate out of, you know, kind of who you are and what's going on with you. Sure, Mark. Thank you. I uh, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, we operate a practice out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we work primarily in the Midwest. Uh, we do like working with uh, small, closely held businesses. Um, a lot of those oftentimes find themselves in, uh, in a farming agricultural environment. Uh, we work with a lot of the, um, the suppliers and the, um, uh, the offshoots of, of those services that, uh, that guys in the Midwest are, are, um, are doing to, to make their farm successful. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, this, this thing about generational planning, why, why, in your opinion and from what you have seen, why is it so important to have some of these things in line? You know, it, it really boils down to a couple of different points. Um, first of is the, uh, the idea around control. We find today with, with the millennials that the generational farm of, of everybody grows up in it, they stick around it, they build houses on it, and they continue to do it is not as, um, as uh, uh, streamlined as it used to be. And so oftentimes what we find is we find uh, kids will go away to college, they'll come back with different ideas, um, uh, they'll, they'll have different um, approaches to what they wanna do professionally, they'll meet other people when they're away that uh, they end up marrying and moving away from the farm. And so having, um, having control over what you want that land to look like a generation or two from now how you want to um, equalize the estate uh, between um, sons and daughters who stay versus sons and daughters who leave. Uh, certainly, the um, uh, we, we hope that every marriage ends in uh, in a 50-year anniversary, uh, but they don't always go that way. So we want to make sure that you're protecting uh, the, the the sanctity of the farm and and what's been given to us from prior generations that that doesn't end up being split up for lack of planning. So okay. we want to make sure that we're being very cost and very tax efficient with how we do things. And, and we want to make sure that we uh, maintain control. Good, good. So, um, so when, when should a guy really start thinking about this? I mean, you know, is it, okay, well, my, my, my first child got born and now I need to figure this out or, or is it, you know, he's, he's 18 and fixing to go off to college or, oh gosh, I'm 65 and I don't have anything ready. When should a guy really be thinking about this? I think when you are in the process of accumulating assets, whether it's a 20 acre plot of land at the, at the end of the road, or it's 2000 acres that grandpa had, you know, back in 1920, if you have assets and you have a desire to know what's going to happen to those assets, then you should be having these conversations. It doesn't mean that you need to go down an extensive amount of, uh, of legal documents to, to accomplish something, but you certainly should have, 
those conversations in hand. You should be um, vetting the relationships that you feel comfortable with. Uh, it takes time to find good people, and and it's good to have a, a cup of coffee with a with an attorney or an accountant or a financial advisor and just begin to to ask them questions about how they approach things and what their philosophies are. And and eventually, what you'll do is you'll find that team that when it's right. Um, you'll have had some conversations so that you know what you need to be doing. Exactly. So so just kind of go through that list again about who people should be talking to. You know, you said we should be having these conversations. Who, who do we need to be having the conversation with? I would start with, um, you, you certainly want an attorney that understands, you know, if, if generational planning is what you're thinking about, then, then you need somebody who, who specializes in that. Okay. If it's contract law and you're trying to figure out, you know, how, how you want to run a farm and how big it wants to be. And, and if you want to do, uh, you know, sharecropping, or if you want to do it all yourself, if you want to lease the land, um, just understanding what it is and making sure you have legal counsel that, that understands how that works. Uh, accountants, um, also the same, again, you want to make sure that you've got somebody that can, you can grow with. Uh, don't, don't worry about getting it right. Uh, and getting it perfect. Just, you know, begin to have conversations and you'll find the right people. Certainly, you want a good financial advisor. Um, you want, uh, uh, you know, good banking relationships, and uh, you want lots of them because you never know who's going to be in, in the business long term. Exactly. Um, and, and so, I think you just seminars are a great place to do that. Uh, don't don't be afraid to to venture outside of your local community. You know, it's it's not a bad idea to go to a to a St. Louis or a Memphis or a Nashville. You know, if you're down in Southeast Missouri, and, and have some conversations with uh, with some people. You know, it's. You got to work on it as much as you work in it. So how 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 much should you know? If this is generational planning. How, how much involvement should the rest of the family have? You know, I mean, is this is this a conversation that I have with the attorney and the accountant and and the financial planner with my wife? Do I bring my kids in on this? I mean, I mean, who 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 else should should be involved in that? I mean, is that something that I do, or is that is that further steps down the line, or or where does that lay? My experience has been that, that if you have somebody, um, certainly I, I, I want to have all the decision makers around the table. So if, if you're married, you, you want to make sure that, um, that that you're getting input from both places. Okay. The the financial advisor and the attorney tend to be the quarterbacks that drive these these um, generational planning discussions. Um, you know, the, the, the planner is, is certainly more... Um, 30,000 foot view, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the pieces that go into the puzzle? The attorney is going to draft the documents. So you really need to have both of them in step. Okay. Um, you know, I have found a lot of success as children get older, you know, they, they, they get into college and get out of college. That's a great time to begin to just introduce them to, to, to conversations. I don't know that you need to, to share everything that you have with them. Um, you don't need to show uh, the entire estate or all the planning that's been done. But you certainly want to begin to have conversations with them and and help them understand that your goal long term is is you know X and and you see someone like them fitting into that vision okay. and give them the opportunity to, to either be a part of it or to tell you that you know Dad that's uh, that's not what I want to do long term right and that's okay yeah makes sense makes sense Scott one of the things that a lot of people are gonna are gonna kind of uh, I guess get taken aback by when they start talking about generational planning is uh, you start talking about lawyers and accountants, they get worried about cost. Um, you know, from experience with seeing some of these situations, the cost on the, on the back end, the cost with taxes and, and with, with legal snafus that don't 
go well because nobody did planning is usually uh, a lot worse than the cost up front. So could you maybe talk a little bit about the cost of what somebody might look at um, when they start the process of, of planning? Sure, sure. I, you know, I would I would equate it to the equipment that you use. Um, you can have good equipment up front and it can work for you and you can be in the fields and out of the fields and, and have everything planted and ready to go. Or you can work with equipment that you're, you're constantly duct taping together and uh, you may you may miss three days of, of sunshine and, and be way behind because you didn't get your uh, your 80 acres planted. Um, I, I think planning is in the same vein. You, you, you want to find good people. You want to be very upfront with them. Uh, you want to get a, a, uh, a feel for what their costs are going to be and what exactly they're going to do for those costs. I think as long as you have disclosure up front of, of what your expectations are and what that will cost in order to get that done, uh, you shouldn't find yourself in a place where you've, you've, um, uh, you know, paid for more advice than you can afford. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Scott, I'm going to kind of give you the last word here. Anything, any questions that, that you usually get that we haven't asked here today, anything that you just kind of want to put a bow on this for us? Uh, just, just something, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. I, again, it goes back to our initial conversation. I feel that you really want to be, aware of the liquidity that you have in the operation that you're running. The, uh, the generational planning is certainly important. You want to be careful not to let, not to let the, uh, the tax tail wag the dog. Oftentimes we make year to year decisions based off of how much that will save us in taxes. And in all reality, at the end of the day, it may not be the best choice for you. And so I, I think just continuing to have open conversations, get as, as the, as the client, Get as many of the people who you are listening to around the table at one time and, and get differing opinions and, and, and vet them out. Um, that nobody's always right. Um, people always have good ideas. And, uh, you know, if you've done planning in the last five years, you're probably in good shape unless something has changed. If it's been more than five years, you want to pull it off the shelf and blow the dust off of it and make sure it's still relevant. Sounds good. Sounds good. Scott, we appreciate you calling in today. We appreciate you. Uh, allowing us to, to ask you questions and, and just your knowledge and your base on that. I know that there will be a lot of guys out there that find this very helpful. So appreciate you calling in. No problem. If they have any questions, they can go to scottneecamp.com. All right. Sounds good, Scott. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. All right, buddy. Take care. Hey, uh, you know, Alex, we appreciate Scott calling in and, and giving us all that information on, uh, you know, generational planning. I think, I think there's some really good points there. And so I uh, also appreciate you coming in and, and you spending time with us. Even and, me? Even, especially you. Aww, that's especially sweet. you. No, I, I did. You know, there, there are a lot of times that we think that this financial thing is just like this huge, looming kind of monster out there. But, uh, you know the way you explained it and the knowledge that you have and uh, is, is very helpful. And so I appreciate you coming in and, and doing that for us today. Well, thanks. All right. I'm glad to be here with you. No doubt. We'll have to go get some, some chicken wings. And, or, and some tacos. And tacos. And let's do it both. So anyway, so hey, guys, we appreciate you all out there joining us today for uh, our MC Podcast episode 15. Uh, always remember that we are social, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And always you can find us at seedcorn.com. Appreciate you guys listening.